Could you turn with me in your Bibles, please, to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. We're going to be here for most of the sermon this morning. And as I was meditating on what to share, this particular encounter here in John chapter 6 came to mind. And as I was looking through it, I read, I recall, and as, as you teach the life of Christ, this is one of those pivotal book chapters because it's kind of the end of the climax of his ministry and the beginning of the kind of going down part of his ministry. Not that he was, the ministry wasn't completely what it was supposed to be, but this is the height of his popularity, if you could say it that way. He had just fed in the beginning parts of chapter six, he feeds 5,000 men, which would have been, if you include the women and the children and all of that, would have been a gigantic number. Um, you could estimate at least seven, 8,000, depending on how they, how they traveled. But So that's a lot of people following and listening to Jesus. And then just a few short, well, the next day, basically, he goes from, let's just say for the sake of argument, 7,000, and that's conservative, I think, to 11, 12, 12 followers. And of those 12, one is about to reject him anyway. So he goes from almost 7,000, 8,000 to 12 in just one day. And so for me, that says, what happened? Why, why is this such a critical thing? And if we look at this encounter, they were ready to make him king. In verses, what, 14 and 15, they were going to make him king. And he knew that, so he got away, so that didn't get out of hand. <clears throat> but to me, when something turns this drastically in the, for the sake of one, in the span of one day, you think, okay, something serious is going on here. So it always makes me look at this message and the encounter with these people. And he had fed the 5,000, he had walked on water, he had gone across to the other side to get away from everybody so it wouldn't get out of hand and they try to overthrow the Romans and make him king and all of that. And, but then they seek him out. And we come to verse 22, I think. Yeah, John chapter 6, 22 through 24. So now it's the next day. They remained on the other side of the sea and saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor that his disciples were there, they themselves got into the boat and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. They went looking for him because he wasn't there. Now, if you continue on, verse 25, they say, Lord, why are you here? Where'd you go? Why, did you, why, why are you here in this place? And his response is so interesting to me. In verse 26 and 27, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. And now this is the King James James translation, I think the ESV says you you ate your fill of the loaves, right? I think that's what we put up there, yeah. You ate your fill. Now verse 27, labor not for the meat which perishes, 
but for the meat that endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. You seek me not because of the miracles, you seek me because I fed you, and you ate till you were filled. And I looked up that word fill in the Greek language. It's, it's, it says gorge, gorge yourself. And we're coming up to Thanksgiving, and that's a common word that we use <laughs> on Thanksgiving. You're gorged with the food that I gave you. You ate your fill in abundance. And they, well, they overate, really. What, what do you think of with Thanksgiving? You think of, well, first football, and then second, overeating, gorging yourself. And he says, you gorged yourself on the food that I gave you. And the thought here is, they overate, but they overate feeding their flesh, their body, their fleshly desires for me. And they were eating on the wrong things. He says, you're not following me for the miracles or anything else, but you're following me just because I'm feeding you fish and you're able to, to gorge your flesh. And he says, don't go after these things that are going to perish. What happens um, the next day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday? Are you, are you still full from the Thanksgiving meal? Maybe, depending on how much you gorge yourself. But by mid-afternoon, Black Friday, what are you? You're hungry again. Even sometimes, late Thanksgiving day, depending on when you eat, you're like, I could really go for a turkey sandwich right now with some gravy and some bread, right? You're ready to eat again. Jesus was saying, why are you following after me for these things that perish? Labor not for the meat which perishes, but for the meat that endures unto everlasting life. Wouldn't it be great if you never had to eat again? You could just be constantly full. And Jesus is about to give them the key to doing this, the key to this everlasting sustenance. And that's the message that breaks his popularity because it's not an easy thing, what he's about to tell them. Don't be attached to the things of this world. He fed them. He met their physical needs. And now he's trying to, sit to meet their spiritual needs. He entreats them not to labor for this food that perishes, but look for that which is eternal. It parallels nicely with a couple chapters earlier where Jesus is in, encountering the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, where she wants thirst, her thirst quenched, but he says, I can give you water that you'll never thirst again. So he's sharing a very similar message here, but focusing on food, being fed spiritually, not just physically. Matthew 6.33 is another exhortation, very similar. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. And what are all these things that they had been talking about the previous part of Matthew 6 is, where do, I, where do I lay my head? How do I clothe myself and my family and so forth? He says, don't worry about all of those things. Focus on the kingdom of heaven and everything else will fall into place. But here, they get the response is so interesting to me. They get caught up in this word labor, verse 27, labor not for this meat. So their answer back, <clears throat> verse 28 and 29, they said unto him, what must we do to do the works of God? 
So they got, they heard the word labor and said, Ooh, let's do something. That means we have to do something. So they said, what must we do to do the works of God? And Jesus answered so simply, so simply, this is the work of God. You want to focus on work and labor? Okay, do this. Believe in him who he has sent. Many people ask this question quite sincerely, and you should ask this question sincerely. Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? What do you want me to do? Perfectly fair and legitimate question. But here they were saying, they hear this labor not and labor. Okay, well, what can we do to enter in to earn this? And he says, just believe. Just believe on him who he has sent. Satisfying God, as we know, does not come just through manual labor, manually entering in and doing things to earn salvation or earn some sort of approval. It comes first by believing in him, responding to him. It's accepting who he is. And that first part of salvation, there's absolutely nothing you can do to earn it, buy it, or anything. You have to believe first. And that's what he was trying to tell them. And what's their reply? Verse 30 to 31. They hear <clears throat> labor. They get focused on let's work, let's earn it. Jesus says, just believe. And they reply, verse 30, 31. What sign will you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? They're so focused on these works, right? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, the casual observer of this account, without any kind of spiritual discernment whatsoever, would be able to say, they just saw him feed 5,000 people with three loaves and two fishes, or whatever it was, just yesterday. And now they're asking for another sign? They just saw this huge thing. <laughs> what? So you can look at it and say, why are you asking for this other sign? And not only that, they're likening manna in the wilderness to Christ. This miracle that he performed, they're saying, well, Moses did this for us. They're always going back to Moses, which was kind of their nature anyway. But they're making it like it's the same thing. Here we have the Son of God on earth with us, his messenger, saying, believe in me, he's my father, I'm his son. And they're saying, well, yeah, but Moses did this thing with bread that we could have every day. Is there a sign that you can give us that we could believe in you? So it's so interesting, again, just looking at it with thousands of years of context to go back on, but still, it's like, you just saw him do all of this stuff just yesterday. And all he tells you to do is believe, and you say, well, how can you prove it so that we can believe you? So he gets into, so that's the problem. The problem, and he jumps right into it. As Jesus always did, he, he confronted the issue with them and said, you are seeking for your flesh. Not only are you seeking for your flesh, you're trying to earn that through some sort of work, some sort of action. And then when I tell you to believe, you say, all right, how can you prove it to me with some sort of sign or miracle or wonder? <clears throat> and Jesus replies, not by placating them, not by diluting his message, not by trying to keep his popularity, but he replies with this discourse on, I am the bread of life, which nobody liked. 
That's what exactly what lost his popularity, because we'll see at the end of the chapter. But the bread of life, Jesus responds to their request for a sign by showing them that he himself is the sign. He is the supernatural provision from heaven that they need. You don't need manna every day. You've got me. You've got me. He says to them, verses 32 through 35, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you that bread from heaven, but my Father gives you true bread from heaven. He's talking about himself. <clears throat> For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to this world. Again, he's right here in front of you. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and who believes in me shall never thirst. Again, in verse 48 through 51, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that come down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. He says, I am the bread of life. Eat of me. And they totally misinterpret this, and we'll see that in a minute. But the summary of this discourse on the bread of life, we could read the whole chapter. You could teach on it for a couple of weeks, easy. It's very simple. Believe in me. <clears throat> Believe in the Son. Feed daily on that supernatural bread from heaven. And I'll add one more, which is regularly hear that word or that bread preached faithfully. It's super important not just to read the word, which it is, not to partake of the daily bread from heaven, but to hear it preached and encouraged and, and expounded upon in different ways. So believe on the Son, feed on Christ day by day, meaning that you should read and meditate on the Word of God and have regular communicate, communion with Him. But also hearing it preached through others. So first of all, believing in him, even it's so astounding that even after seeing the signs and all the miracles that they said, once he said, believe in me, they said, we'll prove it. And when he had been proving it the whole time. But, but feeding on Christ daily, <clears throat> part, of, part of the Lord's prayer or the Lord's pattern for prayer was give us this day our daily bread. Give us what we need to make it through the day, to be satisfied, to, be, to survive the day. And it's the parallels between the manna from heaven and this. Now, okay, if you want to use the example of manna, you, you needed that every day, you need me every day as well. And Jesus was an example of this. Throughout the Gospels, next time you read through the Gospels, just take note of how many times it says Jesus went off by himself and prayed. It's, I found at least five where he just says he went off or by himself and prayed or got up early and went out to pray. And what was he doing? He was getting his daily bread, wasn't he? He says, I'm not here to do my will. I'm here to do the Father's will. And how can you do the Father's will if you don't know what that is? And how do you know what that is unless you ask him and listen to what he says and then go and do it, right? He said in John 4, 31, my meat is to do his will. The will of him who sent me. This is how I survive daily life, if you will. To me, there's no greater example of this 
than a man by the name of George Mueller. Have you guys heard of him? George Mueller. <clears throat> he lived in the 1800s. He was uh, in, in England, London area. And throughout his life, he cared for over 10,000 orphans, established 117 schools that, that offered Christian education to over 120,000 kids went through that school. He did all of it without asking for a dime from anyone and never went into debt. It was all the supernatural provision of God. And if you read, his, there's a biography written about him. I can't remember who wrote it. It's amazing. Somebody went through his journals and read them all and there were and counted out. It must have taken an incredible amount of time, but there were over 50,000 specific answers to prayer that were recorded in his journals throughout his life. Now, he lived 94 years on the earth, so that's a long time, but 50,000 specific answers to prayer. This is not someone who just went to church on Sunday and said, Lord, get me through the week. This is someone who daily, probably minute by minute, depending on the extreme, was saying, Lord, I need to hear from you. I need that daily bread, that minute-by-minute minute bread almost also. There's an example in this biography where they had no food for the kids at the orphanage. The nothing. Everything was empty. And rather than panic, he tells them, we're going to sit down at the table and we're going to give thanks for whatever the Lord's going to do. They had no idea what was going to happen. <clears throat> they sit, so they sit down. And they hold hands and they pray. And no sooner are they done praying than there's a knock at the door. A dairy truck had broken down and overturned. And all of the stuff on that truck was going to go bad, including milk and bread and enough for everyone to eat. Amazing. Give us this day our daily bread. Literally what happened. Literally what happened here. There's many other accounts. If you really want to be encouraged about how the Lord answers prayer, I would, I would encourage you to jump back into that, maybe if you haven't read it in a little while. <clears throat> so that daily survival, that sustenance that we need, we also need specific direction a lot of times as well. We've, living in Florida, we get accustomed to seeking the Lord once, a, once or twice a year, maybe when a hurricane comes through, Lord, what do we do? <laughs> do we run? Do we hide? Do we go? Do we stay? Getting that. We, we've talked about what happened with Hurricane Irma and just this, just this past month or so, we've had a similar experience. Okay, well, we're, we're here to stay. Pastor Bailey, I, I shared this example, I don't know, a while ago, but it's a conversation I had with him that I'll never forget. We were, I think I was playing chess with somebody in one of the common rooms, and he was very skilled at chess. I think most of you know that. And we came in and said, Pastor Bailey, do you want to play a game with us? And he just looked at us with those eyes, you know, piercing eyes. He says, I don't play games. He goes, I pray to the Lord and I win. <laughs> we said, all right, well, we're not ready for that yet. <laughs> but it was so funny. He goes, I pray to the Lord and I win. And it was half in jest because he was making a joke in his way of humor. But he was serious at the same time. I pray to the Lord. I listen. I do what he says and I win. Constant seeking and asking for guidance and direction. King David, similarly, constantly going to the Lord. I counted up nine different times where he went to the Lord and said, shall I go up? Shall I do battle? And not only that, will I be successful? 
this daily bread, daily interaction. Now, throughout this exhortation here that Jesus is sharing, he talks about eating his flesh, drinking his blood. And this was hard for them because they took it literally. They were, they were really confused about what he was talking about. And he was trying to explain it to them that you need that daily communion with me, that daily fellowship following me, following after me. His flesh, not literally, this, but trusting and believing in him, especially his death and his resurrection and what that meant. Partaking that way means we'll never hunger again spiritually because we'll be always fulfilled, everlasting, fulfilled for eternity. Drinking his blood means trusting in his atoning blood, his sacrifice, covering. And I love how he separates the two because they're two distinct things. There's that satisfaction, that, that, that sustenance, that strength that we get from his blood, and then there is his, the body, and then his atonement, his blood is redemption, if you will, that covers us and changes us. I love how he says you need to do both. And that's why it's so important when we do the, the Lord's Supper, the communion, and so forth, that we acknowledge the body that was broken and the blood that covers us. So in a way, in summary, he's telling them, you're malnourished. You've got an eating disorder. <laughs> you focus so much on the flesh and the fish and these things that you're not getting the spiritual sustenance that you need. Here's how you can get that. And he gives them the clue. My body, my blood, that will be broken and shed for you. Hearing and being around the word daily. You know, we can have a spiritual eating disorder, can't we? If we're not getting into this word on a regular basis, we can be malnourished. If we're focusing and overeating on other things, we could still be malnourished. Even though we might be physically and naturally full, we'll be spiritually malnourished, right? And I threw in that little thought of regularly hearing God's word taught. It gives us life in a way that we don't necessarily get from reading the Bible. Reading the Bible is definitely what we need. It gives us life, it gives us strength, but hearing it taught from someone else's perspective is so important. It gives us a different context. It gives us a different, hey, I never looked at that verse that way before, but the Lord spoke it to whomever. I didn't think about it that way before. That's pretty cool. I like that. And then you can take a whole personal line of self-study and Go deeper. It also brings encouragement because you see her and see how the Lord's working in other people. Or they're going through the same stuff I am. <laughs> There's that camaraderie as well. Oh, I guess I'm not the only person struggling. So you get all of this through hearing the word preached. And, and it, it's a, a supplement, if you will. In addition to just reading it yourself, you get the extra encouragement, extra edification. It's almost like the, the cherry on top of the Sunday, right? Where you get extra out of it just from hearing it preached through others. <clears throat> now, how does Israel respond to all of this? He says, here's your problem. Here's how you can fix it. And what do they do? Well, in true Israel-light fashion, they murmur and complain 
and argue with each other. John 40, John 6, 41 through 43. The Jews grumbled about him because he had said, I am the bread of life that came from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I am come down from heaven? Jesus replies, do not grumble or murmur amongst yourselves. So their first instinct, wait a minute, this is Jesus. We know his mom, we know his dad. He grew up two streets over from us. Who is this? Who does he, why is he saying he's from heaven? They just did not get it because their ears weren't open because they weren't following him or being around him for the right reasons. Verse 52, John 6. How can a man give us his flesh to eat? They just they argued amongst themselves. He wants us to eat his flesh? What? This is gross. This is weird. I don't understand what's happening because they didn't have ears to hear what he was saying. They said, this is a hard saying, because again, they were interpreting this literally. And finally, John 6, 6, 6, they topped it all off with, they topped off murmur and strife, unbelief with abandonment. John 6, 6, 6. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with them. See, they always wanted this natural food. They wanted the miracle they wanted the sign, the wonder, but they didn't want to believe. They couldn't believe, and they didn't want to partake of what it meant to have the daily bread from heaven. They didn't want it. They were only concerned with their natural sustenance, their natural, their natural filling. So they was totally focused on natural things. So what does Jesus do? And I, I love this part. You can have times where you, we, you have a large church and next thing you know, people are leaving and your, your tendency in the natural is, wait, 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 come back. <laughs> Let's talk through this. What can, what can we do to make this work? And the tendency would be if you wanted to keep the people in the seats to, to compromise and say, okay, well, maybe we can change our worship or maybe we won't preach this message in this kind of way anymore. Is that what Jesus did? Nope. Verse 67, he turns to his disciples and he says, are you guys going to go too? Perfectly willing to be the only one by himself doing the mission. Are you guys going too or what's happening here? So he goes from 7,000 to 12 in one day and he says, you guys out? And Peter, of course, responds, Lord, who, where else can we go? You alone are the ones who have the words of eternal life. Verses 68 through 69, sorry. You alone are the one who has the words of eternal life. We have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. The disciples got it. They understood. Where else can we go? You're the one who has eternal life. You give us the words of eternal life and we have believed in you. We believe you are the Holy One. You are the one. Where else would we go? Where else could we go? And they follow him. Surely you are the Son of God, he says. I love that response. So this encounter to me is so interesting because 
of the way it, it literally is the loss of Jesus's popularity. It was kind of everyone kind of coming against them at this point, but it was fulfilling God's plan, of course. But seeing the crux of the message that caused all these people to turn from him was, feed on me, partake of fellowship with me. I can give you bread that will last forever. I can give you eternal life. And they said, I don't want that. I just want you to feed me fish and do miracles for me. So interesting. And then seeing how his disciples say, we get it. We get it. We understand you are the source of life. And how they take that in just a few short, in a short amount of time into the book of Acts and just spread it throughout. But they had to have this choice. There was a choice to make. Jesus didn't say, okay, guys, we'll, we'll figure this out later. He goes, are you going to go or are you going to stay? You either get it or you don't. You're either on board or you're not, right? I mean, that's really what he's saying here. And they said, no, we get it. We want to be where you're at because you're the only one who can give us eternal life. And I, I love that example. So here we have this interesting encounter where we have some spiritually malnourished people. And I always ask myself, Lord, am I malnourished? Am I feeding on the right things? What am I feeding on? Is it your word? Is it your daily bread? Is it your source of life? I want that daily bread from heaven. Amen? Amen? All right. Father, we thank you so much for this word this morning. We thank you for sending your son to this earth to, to live this life, this example for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the bread from heaven. You are our source of eternal life. You are the one who meets and satisfies all our needs, Lord. And we just ask that you would convict us afresh this morning and Lord, help us to focus on you completely as our source of eternal life. We thank you, Lord. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.